Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Patriarchs and Promises. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at our first patriarch of the faith, Abraham. And if you remember, God um, promised Abraham, man, this this huge windfall of a blessing. We, 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 we know that God told him that he was going to make him into a great nation. God said, I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And God says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. Last week, we looked at Abraham's salvation. And we looked at that moment in Abraham's life when he believed God and God counted his belief as righteousness. You remember Genesis 15, 6? We read, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed that God is a God of his word, specifically that God would give him a son and fulfill his promises. You know, faith is believing God is who he said he is and that he will do what he said he would do. And so we see in that verse of scripture that Abraham believed and because of his belief, God counted um, his belief um, not against him, but credited his belief with this word righteousness. The word righteous means to be in right standing with God. God looked down upon Abraham in that moment and saw not a wretched sinner anymore, but saw a man who had been saved by grace. And that's what must happen to all of us. All of us must be looked upon, not as sinners any longer, but as righteous because we've entered into a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The title of this message this morning is Abraham's Dysfunctional Family. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have some dysfunction in your family? Raise your hand. Bill? Okay, well, Shasta raised her hand. That's enough right there, right? Um, Some of us, Bill, may be seen as that dysfunctional piece. Okay, I know many times in my family I'm probably seen that way, and some of you in this room may be seen that way as well. Our main point this morning is this. Abraham was a saved man, but he was not a perfect man. Just because we are saved, that does not mean that, that we're perfect. That does not mean that the enemy is done with us. If anything, because we're saved, the devil's going to attack us more than he ever attacked us before we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see this morning is another instance when the enemy is going to attack Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to see um, the, 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 this, this family and all of its dysfunction rise to the top this morning. Let me ask you a question. Has your past sins ever caught up with you? Maybe a past sin that happened before you became a follower of the Lord, or maybe it was a past sin after you became a Christian that, that, that creeped back into your life. And because of that, you were faced with the consequences of those sins. Um, Abraham would sin before he became a believer. And as we will see this morning, after he was declared righteous, the sin of his past will lead him to sin again. 
So notice in Genesis chapter 16, we're going to kind of break this up as we go through this morning, but let's read the first four verses together. We read, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had, female, had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So notice our first point this morning, Abraham and Sarah's solution. So we know that God had promised Abraham a son. He had promised Abraham a son when he was 75 years of age. At this point in our story, Abraham's about 85 years of age. And still, no child of promise had been born to him. Last week, if you remember, Abraham's solution to the lack of children um, was that he was going to, to, to fulfill God's promise for him by... Um, taking Eliezer, the chief servant in his house, and making him the child of promise. But what did God tell him? He said, no, man, you're, the child of promise isn't going to be from somebody in your household. The child of promise is going to be birthed from you. And so now this week, Sarah, um, what she does is she tries to, to fulfill God's promise she realizes that she's barren and no child has come to her. And so she's going to take one of, her, um, Hebrew, or one of her Egyptian servants and give that servant to Abraham to be um, his wife. And she thinks that she is going to fulfill God's promise for him in this manner. But what we know is only heartache is going to come from that. If you ever devise a plan that starts in your head, and can't be backed up in Scripture, don't let that plan ever see the light of day. You know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever devised a plan in your, in your head and thought, man, this sounds great? And then you, then you kind of shared that plan with somebody else, and they're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's kind of what we see here. Sarah develops a plan in her head, and she just kind of vomits that plan out. And what's going to happen is that plan is going to bring great heartache to this family. But her plan is this, is to take one of her servants and give that servant to Abraham as a bride for the sole purpose of having a children that would be the fulfillment of God's promise to them. In order to fully understand this story, we actually got to go back um, a few weeks um, to, to, in a few chapters to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah, and um, they arrive in the land of promise, and soon after arriving, there's a famine in the land. Do you remember what they did? They went to Egypt, didn't they? They went to Egypt because, they, because there was no food for them in the, in the land. They get into Egypt, and, and Abraham turns to Sarah and says, Sarah, instead of being my wife before these people, I want you to tell people that you're my sister. Now, we know that that's all kinds of messed up, all right? But, but believe it or not, that's actually a, a truthful statement because they were actually half-brothers and half-sister, half half okay? Different day, different time, things 
you know, we're, we're a little bit more messed up back in those days, and we're kind of seeing part of that messed upness in our story today. And so um, one of our, some of Pharaoh's servants take a look at Sarah, and Sarah apparently is beyond beautiful. And so they take Sarah, and they bring her into Pharaoh's household to be one of Pharaoh's brides. And not long after this happens, man, plagues and all kinds of torment comes to Pharaoh's household. He calls Abraham to the carpet and literally kicks Abraham and Sarah out of the land because of what they had done. But Abraham and Sarah would not leave that land empty. In fact, they would leave richer than they were when they got there to begin with. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 16, we read, then for her sake, he dealt well with Abram and he had sheep, oxen, Male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Those came back with Abraham and Sarah into the land of promise. One of those female servants would be a young lady by the name of Hagar. You know what is about to happen, don't you? Abraham's past mistake is about to become his present nightmare. Sarah is going to take Hagar and give her to Abraham to be his bride. They're going to have a child, and that child is going to bring nothing but heartache to that family. So let's look here at our next point, Abraham and Sarah's reaction. Again, in verse 4 through 9, we read, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So within these verses, we see the reaction from each of the three people that are part of our story this morning. The first reaction we see is from Hagar. So we see Hagar's smugness here. In verse 4 again, we read, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now let's think about Hagar for a moment. You know, we don't know much about her other than the few passages of scripture that are spoken about her in scripture. We don't really know anything about her character. What we know is that she was a servant in Egypt and she would be a servant within the household of Abraham. She most likely did not have a choice but to become the bride of Abraham and to become the mother of Abraham's child. Now, when I, when I think about this story, you know, part, part of us may think, well, poor pitiful Hagar for what she had to go through. But Hagar probably would have seen all of this as more than a blessing. I mean, she is about to become a mother to Abraham the, 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 the man of promise, who it had been promised. And you know that she had heard all of these stories about what God had promised to Abraham. 
And now there's a chance that she is going to be a part of God's fulfillment to the plan. So, so Hagar in, in our story, we don't know again much about her, but she is about to be blessed by God with the child, isn't she? What she did after she got pregnant clearly was not of God, was it? She looked with contempt upon Sarah. She allowed the devil to get a foothold in her life, and she proudly probably paraded her pregnant belly in front of Sarah and basically says, look at what happened to me. Okay, when we know Sarah was barren, she wasn't able to have children. So when she took one look at what what Hagar was doing, man, she got pretty upset, didn't she? In fact, we see here her response to, to Hagar rubbing in that she was pregnant. We see Sarah's anger. Man, Sarah turns to Abraham, and she is like, you better deal with that problem right now. Sarah has a, a, a billion emotions that she is experiencing in that very moment, most likely. Man, she's probably embarrassed. She's probably shameful, and she probably feels unworthy. With Hagar getting pregnant, Sarah would have realized that the problem was not that Abraham couldn't have children. The problem was with her. She was the reason that they did not have children. She may have even felt like God didn't love her anymore. Since if you remember, for a person to have been barren, that meant that, that God's hand of blessing was not upon them. So Sarah, man, she had all these different emotions that most have been running through her mind. But she let the, her emotions get the best of her that day, didn't she? She turns to Abraham again, and she's like, you better deal with that problem. If you don't, then I'm going to. And, and, and take a moment to reflect here. Why was there a problem to begin with? Was it not because of Sarah? The problem began when what she devised in her mind was put down on paper and they acted out what, what, what she had devised, right? <clears throat> Next we see this. We see Abraham's abdication. In verse 6 we read, But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. What Abraham is basically telling Sarah here is, she is your problem, you deal with her. Last I checked, it takes two to tango, right? You know what I mean? Abraham was far from innocent. In fact, in my opinion, he is probably the most guilty within this story this morning. He is guilty for a number of reasons. Number one, he is the only person in this story that has been declared by God as having been saved. As a saved man, he should have known what was right and what was wrong. He should have known that what Sarah had devised in her mind was not a good idea. But what did he do, man? He submitted to his wife's leadership, and she allowed the plan to be carried out. Another reason, he was not only saved, but he had heard directly from the Lord that the child of promise was not going to come from any other way except from him and his bride, Sarah. In the end, Abraham knew better. But instead of saying no to Sarah, he submitted to her leadership. 
Does that remind you of any other stories in the Bible? How about that first family? Eve took from the tree and she gave it to Adam and both ate from that forbidden fruit, right? Of those two, who heard directly from God? Adam. Who was it that submitted to Eve's leadership? Adam, right? Adam should have told Eve no. Abraham should have told Sarah, no. But both of these Weasley men, what they did was they submitted to their wife's leadership. And we know the the rest is history, really. Notice next here. We see Hagar fleeing as a result of Sarah's oppression. Then we, we read here, then Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So Hagar's solution to the problem was to flee from Sarah and to flee from the situation. Sometimes fleeing is perceived as the easy way out, isn't it? Instead of fighting for what is right, we flee because we take the easy road. One writer shared, this is the most common response to people's problems. When problems arise on the job, don't fix it, find a new job. When problems crop up in the marriage, don't work it out, just find a new mate. When problems arise at church, Don't seek a solution. Find a new church. You know, we see this happen every day in life. Hagar fled because she thought that that was her only option. We are told here that the angel of the Lord appeared to her. You know who the angel of the Lord is here in this scripture? I believe, as does many scholars, that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jesus in the flesh. Jesus, before he came and dwelt among us, in verse 10, he would show up as the angel of the Lord. And we know this because, because he, refer, he, he, he refers to himself in the first person. And Hagar also will refer to him as being the Lord. Think about this. Hagar, in her moment of desperation, is blessed with an appearance of Jesus Christ before his incarnation. In her loneliest moment of life, Jesus found her. That must have been an awesome moment for Hagar. At her lowest point, the Lord shows up and comforts her and tells her to get to living her life. Tells her to to pick herself up off the ground, dust herself off, and to return back to her home life. Now, many times returning or even staying is hard and difficult. But when life gets hard, we're never instructed to take the easy road, are we? We're instructed to fight for what we know is right. And that's what Hagar is going to do, man. She's going to turn into a fighter. She's going to return from which she came. And she's going to allow everything to play out just as God had intended it to play out. Notice next the result of the child's birth. Beginning of verse 10, we read, The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlori. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. You know, as a result of Hagar's pregnancy, we read um, several things here. The first thing is we read of the Lord's blessing. Now, we know that the days will not come easy for Hagar or Ishmael. We also know that the days are not going to be easy for Abraham and Sarah as a result of their decision to defy God and do things their way. But here's what we know. From Hagar would come a blessing. That is what children are, aren't they? They are a blessing from the Lord. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 4, the psalmist wrote, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Man, we need to all be reminded of this sometimes. Man, a pregnancy, a planned pregnancy is a blessing from the Lord. An unplanned pregnancy is a blessing from the Lord. A surprise pregnancy is a blessing from the Lord. In verse 10, we read a promise that the Lord gives to Hagar. We read, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. This promise that the Lord gives to Hagar, man, this is the only time in Scripture where a woman is given this um, this. This, this kind of a decision on this, or this kind of a promise on this scale. God tells Hagar, man, that your, your offspring are going to be too numerous to count. And we, and we know that to be true. We also know that this child of blessing would be a complete handful. We're told that Ishmael, um, we're, we're see, we see his description here in verse 12. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. You know, Hagar receives a prophetic word from the Lord here. An an exact description of the kind of child that she is going to raise. She is told that he is going to be a wild donkey. How many of you, if you were told by God before your child burst into the world that your child was going to be described as a wild donkey, how many of you would be, would be a little bit apprehensive about that? Basically, what she's being told here is that your child is not going to be voted class favorite, okay? Everybody is going to be against Ishmael, and Ishmael is going to be against everyone, that is the kind of promise that, that Hagar receives from the Lord. That is the kind of description that she gets from the Lord about her son. And from, from Abraham, there's going to be two children that are born, Isaac and Ishmael. And both of them are going to become mighty nations in this world. And, and because, next we see here, because of Hagar's encounter with the Lord, we see a picture of her faith. What I love about Hagar is in, in, at her moment of complete desperation, 
we find her worshiping the Lord. In verse 13, we read, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. What a beautiful verse this is. Thousands of years ago, this servant woman acknowledged that our God is a God who not only sees us, but also looks after us. He knows what is best for our life. You know that, don't you? God knows what is best for your life. Now, it may not make sense sometimes when God unveils his plan before us, but God knows what he's doing. Man, he's God. He created all things. He created you and gave you the breath of life. He gave you um, your life to live for him. He knows what is best for you. What we see with Hagar is Hagar is going to return from which she came. We know it's not going to be an easy life for her, but it would be exactly where God would have her to be for that particular season in her life. You know, Hagar's faith tells us that she believed she could trust God in spite of her circumstances. Do you believe that you can trust God in spite of your circumstances? She concluded that God's goodness outweighed Sarah's hostility. You know, there's going to be some people that, that, that aren't the most easy to work with. They're not going to be the most encouraging and the most loving. But if God has called you to stay where you're at, You've got to stay, and you've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep shining for the Lord Jesus Christ where it is that you're at. And Hagar also knew that if God had called her, he would take care of her. As a child of God, you can know that God, too, will take care of you regardless of the situation. God's hand is all over this story. We know that Abraham and Sarah would face the consequences for their sin. In fact, they would have to wait an additional 15 years before the child of promise would finally come and be born to Sarah. Sarah would have to live with the pain of being barren as she witnessed Hagar and Abraham's son grow up before her very eyes. These two made a mistake, but from that mistake would come a blessing. You want to experience God's blessing? First thing that you got to do is you got to turn from your sin. You've got to turn to the Lord in faith. You, like Abraham and Hagar and all the other men and women of faith in Scripture, you've got to become a person of faith. You have to obey the Word of God. You need to worship the Lord your God. And as believers, we need to go and tell other people about the Lord our God also. You know, Abraham was a saved man, but he was not a perfect man. You and I are saved, but we're far from perfect. However, perfection is what each of us should be striving for more and more each and every day, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you today to come to make the greatest decision that you could ever make and turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning, man, and there's some, there's some turmoil that's been going on in your life and you, you have not trusted the Lord with that. And today may be the day that you just need to lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own anymore. Here, it's yours. Take. I don't know what decision you need to make, but let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this morning. Thanking you for your word. 
Father, we thank you, Father, for, for um, Abraham's faith. We thank you, Father, for examples in Scripture of how not to do things. We also thank you, Lord, that in Scripture we see that, that even though um, a mistake was made, a blessing still came from that. Lord, we know that even in the midst of our mistakes, Lord, you can still and you still will reign supreme. Father, I pray this morning that there's someone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. I pray this morning if there is someone in this room or some ones in this room that are battling some things, Father, that today will be the day that they lay they, those, those problems down at your feet and they give them over to you and they ask you, Lord, to help them walk through whatever it is that they're going through. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come if there's a decision you need to make. You come.